Hey, y'all, you're listening to Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies, the DSM podcast. We help make mental health more comfortable by using Black movies and shows we know and love and culture to remove stigma. So join our convo with your host, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor. And Dr. B, licensed professional counselor. What's poppin', everybody? Today we have a very special treat. I am super excited. We have our very first guest. Woo-hoo! Exciting. Did the same. (laughs) (laughs) So we have joining us um, an amazing uh, mental health mind, somebody who we have known for a while, who is uh, an overall just great individual, beautiful Black woman, super intelligent and knowledgeable about everything Black. We love her. Please welcome Miss Jovan Shumpert. Jovan, tell them a little about yourself, girl. Thank you for that wonderful (laughs) opening. I'm like, damn, I'm all those things? Yeah, Um, she forgot dope dope AF, but I'll I'll let it it slide. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, so my name is Jovan Shumpert. Um, I am a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Indiana. Um, I currently work as a, um, a behavioral health therapist with a local, um, hospital agency. And then I also, um, recently started my private practice called Becoming Growing Learning LLC. Um, shameless plug. But, you know, we're here. <laughs> Plug away. But yeah. So, um, yeah, I recently started that. I'm really excited about it. Um, I specialize, I would say, in working with uh, late teens through early adulthood. Um, I do have some college um, campus experience as a therapist. And then in my current role, um, I work with youth. So I work with anything or anyone between the ages of three and 18. Um, so you can imagine just how different those age groups are developmentally. Um, but my favorite are the the ones that are considered teenagers that are able to process and things like that. But um, yeah, that's me. Look at that well-rounded resume. You better go ahead, girl. Know, right? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and I forgot to say I'm an Aggie. Aggie pride. Aggie pride. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so I want to ask you guys, uh, let's start off quotables. What is your favorite quote from the show? And my, while you think, go ahead, you go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I just want to say that my favorite, uh, even though it happened very early in the show, is maybe it's dry as hell. Maybe it really smells broken pussy. Ooh. Ah, ah, maybe, yeah. it's <laughs> maybe it's had enough broken pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to share that with y'all. Dang. Wow. She's starting early. <laughs> right? Right? I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, I can't, my gosh. I can't think about any, like, direct quotes, but, like, some of my, I guess, favorite parts or just parts that had me, like, clutching my pearls was, uh, I think it was at, was it at Tiffany's baby shower or maybe after Tiffany had the baby? that Molly was, it was after she had the baby, that Molly was asking Issa, like, why is she so messy? And why does she want, you know, why does she love drama? Things like that. So it was just like a moment that just, I clutched my pearls a little bit because it was just like, you are the definition of messy. Um, And and we saw in this, this, this latest season that Issa was actually 
the mature one that she was, you know, coming into her own. She had her glow up and she was actually attempting to be very mature. So it was just kind of messed up that her friend chose that moment to kind of try to bring her down a peg. Mm, she said, life ain't always got to be this messy, girl. And, that's, <laughs> and I imagine you, that would be the moment that in which you <gasps> clutched the pearls. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm like quiet over here, low key, because I'm trying to find the exact words for the quote because I could never get quotables right unless I write them <laughs> down, or like because I might I I just cannot remember. I mean, obviously, we had a whole moment before this recording about my memory. So anyway, I my favorite quotable is from when um, I believe this is season two, and she starts working as a manager in the apartment complex. Mm-hmm. And that little boy, her and Nathaniel, I think uh, she took him to like this, um, one of the famous L.A. taco joints. And um, the little boy come knocking on the door. So Issa opens the door and he was like, what y'all doing? Eating tacos and kissing or some, some crazy shit. And just like, <laughs> That's why I'm like, man, Rosie, you just ruined it. You set the whole story and then you can't even get the quotable right. Close book. We're done. Yeah, I'm not as good with with shows unless I've seen it multiple times. Right. Um, but with movies, I can quote those like nobody's business. But shows, it's a little bit harder for me. You know, that's why you should be another host on the show. You might consider it. And, I, you know, uh, no shade, but Jovan, you, you, you picked the show, so... You know, we just go throw that out there. But anyway, yeah, yeah. you know, I know did, what we're talking. That was shade. Okay, yes, I did pick the show. I love, I, I can give you a good synopsis of the show. But as far as like direct quotes, that it's is hard. not my thing. That is not my thing. <laughs> That's hard. Okay, for everyone who does um, not know from our terrible renditions of quotables, but we are talking about the amazing show Insecure. Um created by the wonderful and very talented Issa Rae, starring Yvonne Orji, Jay Ellis, Natasha Rothwell, Amanda Seals, and a cast of other beautiful black and brown people. Um, those are just, you know, the, the mainstays of the entire series. So we have to name those people. But yes, this show is, it's in, this was the end of its fourth season two weeks ago. Yeah. So it just ended for us. And so we, this is perfect time and actually to talk about the show because I, I don't know if about everyone else, but I am still um, in shock, processing, recovering from the news of the last episode with um, Condoleezza Rice. I'm going to call her all different types of different <laughs> condiments. She's going to be everything <laughs> during this episode. But uh, yes, the news of her being with child. Uh, before wow. we even dive into each and every character, just spoiler alert. That. that. Oh, yeah, late. real early. That was late. <laughs> real spoiler early. Holding okay. no punches. We're talking, discussing everything. So if you haven't watched it, what are you doing with your life? Catch up. Very true. So how do you guys feel about that news before we even talk about the individual characters, just the impact? I saw it coming. Um, I I was upset by the news. I saw it coming, though, Um, because Condola, I had to truly think about her name. That's why I paused, (laughs) because everybody has been playing with her name. But um, yeah, Condola basically let it be known that she was not looking for anything serious after, you know, going through a divorce and things like that. But she was actually kind of forced to tell him after the drunk friend at the party uh, lit Lawrence in on that little secret. 
And um, she, you know, let it be known that he's her little plaything. You know, they just cutty buddies and, and that's it. And um, you could tell that he was really hurt by that and all of that because he thought it was going to be something more. Um, and so the fact that when we watched that beautiful episode, and what's Kelly's real name again? Natasha Rothwell, I believe. Natasha Rothwell. Her episode was my absolute favorite. And that's the one where we saw Issa and Lawrence having this like very mature, but awkward, them, cutesy, you know, reunion. And it was just like, dang, why won't Condola just let us live in this moment? Um, (laughs) And so it was just like, okay, she's kind of pressed right now to talk to him. What else is there to talk about? So after she's already let it be known that she does not really want anything from him other than, you know, them to kind of have fun together, have sex, and they kind of broke up. Um, I put that in air quotes. I know you guys can't see that. But um, <laughs> but yeah, after they broke up, it's just kind of like, what else is there to talk about other than a pregnancy? And so, Blech. yeah, I, I was upset by it. I mean, but, you know, adult shit, it happens. You know, that's why you got to wrap it up, you know. I was, or I was control it up, do something. Right. I was so annoyed by that because, I mean, come on, let's be real now. Like, y'all wasn't at least trying not to at least get pregnant. Like, I mean, forget the fact that y'all wasn't protecting yourselves against STDs because, you know, I can get on my soapbox all day about STDs and HIV and the need for, for condom use. But to me, it was just like, damn, girl, like, you ain't on no type of nobody's birth control. You Especially knowing that it wasn't serious. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, if you if you with your man and that's what y'all do and y'all say, you know, okay. whatever happens, right. happens, cool. But you just out here letting her hang loose, you know, able to get pregnant by anybody. And bam. But I thought what was going to happen, he was going to leave. He was going to move to L.A. I thought that's what was going to happen. Well, San Francisco. I mean, not San Francisco because they, <laughs> they in L.A. I need to wake up. Somebody got okay. coffee. But I will in Crayola's defense. She, <laughs> Lawrence did say, I thought we were being careful. So yeah, they did. didn't speak to what uh, form of contraceptive they were using, but it does sound like there was something there for... They were pulling uh, out. Right, so, exactly. No, that's not Friends, careful. That's not careful. Please that know. Is gambling. Please know that... It doesn't work, people. Out. It does not work. It doesn't work. That is not the, a contraceptive. That is not a being This careful. is coming from a parent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And, and, and what... Side note, what bothers me so mo- uh, so much these days is that people are like, oh, we used a condom. Oh, we did. No, you didn't. You can't, Condoms don't fail that much. <laughs> but the amount of people that say, oh, we. I'm going to tell you what happened. What happened was, because I be falling victim to this all the time, business out there. Okay, so, you know, like the first time you're like, yeah, I'm going to use a condom. Second time. Yeah, I'm going to use a condom. Third time, you'd be like, well, I feel like we know each other a little bit better now. I think we can... I trust you. I trust you. When was the last time you got tested? You ain't got nothing, do you? And then this whole dialogue happens, and then you break down that wall, and you say, enter me raw, baby. I like it raw. 
And then that's wow, it. this is going somewhere different. So uh, Issa is our that's main how character. They ended up pregnant. Issa is our you main. Get comfortable. Character. Issa is our main character. You're welcome. <laughs> the birds and the bees. Issa being our main <laughs> character, we meet her in the first season, and she is our opening introduction to her is her being roasted by a class of middle school students, um, asking her why her hair like that, why you ain't married, like just a, a plethora of uncomfortable questions to be asked in your late 20s when you are already in that phase of life where you are um, questioning lots of decisions and mm-hmm. what will be the next move. Um, so that made her extremely um, uncomfortable, hence the name of the show, Insecure. And she is in a budding relationship with Lawrence, who is her long-term boyfriend, who unfortunately at that time has been unemployed for two years, who is uh, basically on her couch all day because he appears to be suffering from depression from Mm -hmm. a um, failed uh, business venture. He had an idea of an app that he wanted to create and it never really took off. And it it seemed like he really had a hard time coping and getting past that. Um, And so she's questioning whether she wants to continue that relationship going forward. Um, And her best friend, Molly, she views uh, Molly as killing it in life because she is liked by many. She doesn't seem as awkward as Issa feels about herself and has a um, career in law, a successful career in law. And then they also have two other best friends, Tiffany and Kelly, who uh, make up their circle. I want to know in your friend group, who are you? Are you the Molly, the Issa, the Tiffany, or the Kelly? Clearly, after that last conversation, I'm Kelly. <laughs> I have no filter. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm likely to harass somebody's son in public because it's just what I can do because I can. That's me flirting. And the yes. comedic relief. Yeah, yeah, right, right. That random person that just says something like, what? Y'all was thinking it. I just had to, to share. But yeah, that's me. Kelly. Um, I would say I am Issa. Just from a standpoint of, you know, it may be taking some time for the career to take off. What else? The we got y'all whole thing. I felt like that has been like working for a nonprofit and just some of the <laughs> some of the different jobs that I've had just kind of all kind of go into the whole we got y'all thing um, where there's like you're working for well-meaning white people, but they're extremely problematic and just how to navigate that. Sometimes I feel like I can be awkward, even though I don't come off as awkward as Issa. Um, on the inside, I feel like Issa, <laughs> but on the outside, I'm very like cool, calm, and collected. But I, I can relate to a lot of her awkward inner thoughts and, um, you know, the raps and things like that that she used to do, which I hate that we didn't get a lot of that. We didn't, I don't think we got any raps uh, this fourth season. And so I, I really miss those things because it was just like, man, she's speaking to my soul right now. So um, so Issa is me on the inside. And then just also, you know, well, I'm not going to share that piece of it until we, I guess, get to the diagnosis part um, as far as what, how I relate to her in, in that respect. So uh, Issa, Issa Ray did say that we didn't get as many raps from Issa this season because she felt that Issa didn't have to spend as much time in the mirror talking to herself because she had experienced 
that growth that uh, you talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, and it's Kelly's horrible. <laughs> it's gross. Yeah, and you uh, have to do the hand with it. Mm-hmm. The, the, the flower bomb. Um, and so that is why we didn't get as, as many raps because Issa wasn't in that place where she had to speak to herself in that way um, as much anymore. And so... She said that was her explanation of that. But um, to answer the question for myself, I feel that I have kind of gone through a transition because unfortunately, the first two seasons of uh, Insecure, it it was my life. Um, (laughs) I was going through. Um, So the working with children, that being in that long-term relationship and being like, oh my God, I've got to get out of here. And then, but not really wanting to do it. And then doing things that would cause that relationship to end just because you're too afraid to break out of that relationship yourself Mm -hmm. and do that in a healthy way. Um, On top of having a best friend who is killing it, who uh, my best friend at the time was in law school. And I was like, I was watching it. I was like, oh my God, this is my life. And so rewatching it for this to prepare, oh, it took me to a dark place. So, uh, (laughs) but um, I think that I have grown as well as Issa, but in a different way. Um, I think more so now my personality might be a little bit more aligned with Molly because I am in that like I'm only doing what I feel like doing and I don't care what everybody else want to do because I'm doing what I want to do and I ain't wrong for doing what I want to do because it's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah I like that you pointed out that aspect of the the best friend thing I forgot about that um, and so with with Issa and the Molly dynamic I do have that similar dynamic as well where my best friend who also graduated from ANT was like business major and econ and all of that stuff and went on and like career took off and like continues to take off and you know and just you know for a very short time was like comparing like where she was in life how much she was making versus how much I was making working at you know we got y'all you know it was just (laughs) a very different thing that I've had to navigate within myself and so that was uh, definitely something that made Issa extremely relatable. But y'all correct me if I'm wrong. So do we feel like the most important relationship that occurs on the show is between Molly and Issa? Yeah. Yeah, I can agree. Um, I think it's important to also note, though, they're different relationships, too. And like they're different various friendships, uh, situationships. And because those relationships actually is what impacts their actual friendship to each other as friends. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, obviously relationships is like the element of this show and how those, uh, those situations have and consequences have an impact on, on all of these relationships. Mm -hmm. Jovan, did you want to add to that? Um, So, yeah, I was going to say that, yeah, those are the the two main characters. And so those are the ones that I uh, would like to focus on, but um, as as Rosie talked about, the relationships that they have outside of one another impact their, like, the main relationship that we're going to be focusing on. So, like, we, we can't talk about Issa and not talk about her relationship with Lawrence. We can't talk about Molly and not talk about her relationship with Andrew and them. <laughs> um, and them. <laughs> I mean, let's be real, because she has had several and thems, okay? Um, and I think it's worth noting that she did have several of them. And like, yeah. what was going on? What was happening for that to happen? I think that 
that says a lot to me to or and also is something that should be considered for um, diagnosis and prognosis um, prognosis because that type of behavior can be an indicator of mental health. Mm-hmm. So before we dig into the mental health piece of it, I just want to hear you guys' overall opinions of the show. Like, do you enjoy the show? What do you feel like its impact is on the culture? Because clearly we are all tuned in. We're all watching it. Everyone has an opinion. So I would like to hear what you guys' opinion is. I love the show. Um, I think this is comparable like to what Living Single was for women in the 90s, in which I still appreciated being in a, a millennial. Um, mm-hmm. That's definitely one of my favorite sitcoms. But I, I think this is comparable to what that was in the 90s. I think it, it shows what, you know, friendships look like, what relationships look like, what careers can look like. It just touches on so much. Um, and it's definitely opened my eyes and like forced me to be like, maybe I, maybe I do feel a way about this and that maybe I need to work on this. Um, for example... Um, it might have been within that first, it might have been first season where Molly dated the the guy at Enterprise. I can't remember his name. <laughs> um, but that caused, like a lot of their episodes caused a lot of huge discussion. And so basically what that kind of, um, it was the catalyst for a lot of discussion as it related to Black women not being as open to Black men who have had experiences with other men. And whether or not we um, we kind of close off uh, their ability to be, you know, sexual people or people that can, um, you know, be sexually fluid and things like that. And uh, just does that look like homophobia or does that look like, you know, preference? And so it's just been a lot of discussion surrounding that. And so I appreciated Insecure for bringing that to the forefront. Yeah, so I remember that character. His name is Jared. And I, I, I rocked with Jared. I can see why mm-hmm. Molly actually liked him. He was a decent guy. And then that, that casually kind of came out. Um, that, that was an experience for me. Um, I was talking to this guy. <laughs> so there's sometimes where I do feel like I'm a combination of Molly and Issa as far as the type of guys I've cross paths with. I was like, wow, I feel very judged, but this is good. (laughs) Because I had this guy that I was like, kind of, you know, messing around with, was kicking it. I was single, whatever. And, um, you know, he was an interesting guy. When I met him, he had tattoos and he had locks and he just had this pretty smile, but he also painted his, he had his toes painted white or black. And, he, and just either white or black. Was this during no, grad school? I, I vividly recall it was white because black was normal. I said, if it was black, you know, people do that. That's okay. Yes, you know, rock star. But it was white. <laughs> it was white. It was okay. White. And me being the type of person I am, I was just like, wow, look at you. I like He's that. so expressive. <laughs> and so I started wearing white toes too. I was like, this is it. <laughs> Let me get into this look. <laughs> so one day we watching a basketball game together. We just chilling. And he was like, the basketball, the basketball league is so full of queens. I said, what? <laughs> he was like, they're just so full of queens. I said, how you know? 
he was like, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm a part of the community. I know about it. I was like, what? And he said, you said that man said, I know my people. He said he knows his people. And I was just like, I clutched my pearls. And I said, oh. So what made me upset in that situation with him was like, you could have at least just told me straight up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But my friends was like, nah, sis, you should have known from them white toes. I said, listen, I just wanted to let him be expressive in his own way. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with it. It was his swag, you know. And so um, that's my story. <laughs> About my version of a Jared, but I love him. <laughs> I think they're amazing people. <laughs> but he's that de- he was definitely bisexual. He was definitely bisexual, and that was a really hard conversation to have because you know within my twenties, like that, like within my lifetime, that had never happened to me. And so my initial thought process was like, "Yo, I need to go get tested." Blah blah blah. So that that stereotypical thinking, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then feeling upset at myself for not being able to realize or know this. Um, but then after a while, it's just kind of like, well, it is what it is. And if, if, if we were to be in a really serious relationship and I was really into him in that way, maybe I would have been okay with pursuing the relationship. Yeah. So was that the, was that the, like, the, I guess the, the straw that broke the camel's back with that situationship? Or, like, were, were you guys able to, like, move on? No, I don't think it was so much of him being bisexual as it was that he was just lame. No, it it was layers. It was layers. And then when I found out that he did cocaine. That's the guy. I remember him. Yeah, I remember him. That's why I said, was this grad school? Because he was starting to sound awfully familiar. I don't want to put all this business out. So I tried to just say. I can't. Okay. It's, it's, it, okay. it, it, anyway, uh, <laughs> it connects. It connects. I mean, this is my life story. Um, I'm going to write a, a book, a tell-all. Stay tuned. <laughs> I forgot okay, the question. So guys, um, yeah, me too. I'm sorry. I can't keep us on track here. <laughs> uh, is there anybody who, within the show, um, I, think, I definitely think we were going in a different direction, but it's, it's gone now. So um, is there anybody in the show who you felt like... Um, was diagnosable because I think it is um, pretty important to know and I am glad that we're doing this show because not everyone necessarily has a full-blown diagnosis, but that does not necessarily mean that they could not benefit from any um, therapy, be it short-term, long-term, whatever it is that fits their situation. Couples, just to improve communication, um, relationships, or anything like that. We see that Molly goes to therapy um, as well, as much as she had a whole stank-ass attitude about somebody saying that she should go, but it ended up benefiting her, as we saw in the show. But is there anybody, um, aside, of course, from... um, Commons Houston brother Nathan because they talk just alike to me uh, who is uh, revealed as be a bipolar is there anybody else who you felt like uh, was diagnosable in the show I feel like Lawrence is definitely the next diagnosable as far as the depression um, what were your thoughts uh, Jovan oh I was going to give um, Molly major, de- major depressive disorder oh yeah mm-hmm. interesting Expound, please. So we know, like you guys talked about in the previous episode, that 
you know, that this book that we use, the DSM, is, you know, based off of white supremacist, you know, ideals and things like that. And so that can, you know, cause some challenges when it comes to diagnosing uh, Black people and people of color. And so, um, or people that just don't um, identify as white males. Um, <laughs> and so when I look at Molly, and we also, I also did a, a presentation on, uh, on depression in Black women in grad school, and we called it Sisters with Sadness. And knowing that depression does not look the same for Black women as what you would typically see as far as like, oh, a white woman that's, you know, can't get out of bed and, you know, can't do anything and, you know, not showering, not doing this, not doing that, you know, which a lot of times in our culture is like, we don't have time to be sad. We don't have time to be in the bed all day. We don't have, because we have things to do. And so I think with her, we see a lot of, while she is successful as a lawyer and things like that, I think she busies herself with her career so she won't have to deal with the emotions that she's stuffing down deep. And so as I'm looking at the diagnostic criteria for depression, it says depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, as indicated by um, supportive report, I'm sorry, subjective report, um, feels sad, empty, hopeless. So I feel like with her, we saw a lot of uh, emptiness, hopelessness, um, and then it also made note of the irritability. It says that um, in children and adolescents, it could be irritable mood. And I would dare to say that even in Black women, where we see a lot of irritability, can indicate um, depression and anxiety. And so while, you know, it's easy to get that, that, that reputation of being an angry Black woman, we see that Molly, off, you know, often is put into that category um, what I see is irritability, which is a symptom of something that has not been diagnosed or addressed. Um, also, um, just her no longer having interest in ESA. I think that's another thing. So, um, you know, with depression, there's usually some um, diminished interest in things that you used to do for fun or things that you used to enjoy. I think her... Um, deciding to kind of part ways with her friend might indicate that as well. Um, what else? Um, feelings of worthlessness or excessive um, inappropriate guilt. Um, but yeah, I, I think with the worthlessness, we see, I think with a lot of people when they have like perfectionist tendencies, things like that, it comes from a sense of not feeling like they're worthy. And so uh, where she feels like she has to be the best at things, we saw her like kind of trip up and do some things that were pretty messed up with coworkers. So yeah, I think there's a lot there um, for her. Um, and just not feeling, how can I say this? Just overall, like a very pessimistic view of life will lend mm -hmm. itself to, um, to her being impacted by depression. And then I would also say that she's being impacted at work with this, as well as her, uh, her personal relationships, whether it be, you know, her platonic friendship with, with Issa or her uh, many relationships with the men in her life. And definitely where you uh, mentioned her, the, those feelings of perfectionism, um, I thought that definitely came out in her... Um, 
view of what a relationship or what marriage was um, mm-hmm. because I there are many people, especially people who um, have grew up with their parents being together and in the same house where if they find out that there are any issues within that marriage, that deeply impacts them like they were the one who were uh, done mm-hmm. wrong in that relationship. And so it did almost make it seem like she felt she was going through the process of grief, like she was the one who got cheated on. And it kind of tainted her view of what marriage was. Because earlier uh, she had said, like, are there any people who are married like my parents anymore? And then the very next episode, we find out that way a long time ago, it sounds like um, her, her aunties being gossipy. And we find out that her dad had at one point cheated on her mom, but mm-hmm. they were able to overcome that, work that through in their relationship and continue to stay together, be in a happy, healthy relationship, it does appear. But that messed her up so much that it tainted her view of what marriage is. It kind of added to her distrust in relationships as well as um, impacted her relationship with her father. Mm -hmm. And so I think if it's not perfect, she doesn't want to interact with it. But it's only from her view of perfection because her mother did not appear to be unhappy in her relationship. So Mm -hmm. for their mother, they could be in a perfect place where they are now. But because that infidelity happened however many years ago, in Molly's eyes, her idea of perfection, it was no longer perfect. And so it was no longer acceptable. I think her, her also her experience with being with a married man also tainted her idea of marriage because the whole thing with Dro and Candace you know, um, her trying to be in this platonic relationship with Dro and just be okay with having sex with him, even though he was happily married to a friend of theirs, Candace, that like they were friends. And so she was in this love triangle at some point as well. And so I think where she had that question of, do, do people even have marriages like my mom and dad anymore came from this this experience of being in a, a love triangle um, between her childhood friend, Ro, and, and you know, their, their friend or her friend, Candace. And so it was just, talk about somebody being messy, you know? <laughs> and so again, it's like clutches pearl, like to Javon's point, it's like, how dare you tell me that I'm messy when you were in like a love, a legit love triangle in a swingers relationship, yet, I'm, I'm messy. And the reason why Molly chose to be in that relationship, not to give to that, to that couple, but out of selfishness because she wanted the sex that bad. And I, I think, I think also to your point though, Rosie, with that drove relationship, it was kind of murky waters. Cause we didn't know if Candace truly knew about it until I guess later on. And so it was kind of like, he presented it like, okay, yes, we have this open marriage and like, we can do what we want to do. But then it was like, but do you really? (laughs) And so because that wasn't really confirmed, it was just kind of like, it just looked like a normal, like, okay, I'm cheating on my wife and here you are. And I think there's nothing wrong with having an open relationship. There's nothing wrong with polyamorous relationships as long as that's what you want. And so I think a lot of times women in particular end up settling because we don't want to let a relationship go. So she she was making up this relationship with Dro in her head that it was going to be something more than what it was. And he's a married man. And that's just the way that 
he chose to live it. Like we have our fun, whatever else, but I'm going home to my wife. Right. And she, she was trying to make it more than what it was. And that's where she went wrong. So it's like, if you're going to be in an open relationship, then understand that that person is, you know, doing their thing with their, their wife. And you're just kind of on the side and you guys have fun. But there's an added bonus. Right. And, and there's rules to this type right. of to those types of relationships. And that, that is something that I learned, especially like with the LGBTQ community um, and their sub communities is that um, you you technically like as far as pol- um, polygamy and things of that nature, they, they actually engage in that. But you have to have consent. You have to everyone involved has to be made aware of who is involved and, you know, that you you want to make sure that the person doesn't feel like oh I didn't know what this was happening. It, it, there's another word for it. It's something um, uh, something monogamy. Um, I'm I'm blanking on the word right now, but I'm gonna find it. But what I like about going back to a question that you asked about like you know this rep- this representation of Black people and is this a good show for us? And I mean obviously just even just talking about Molly, this is clearly a good show for us because mm-hmm. I mean there's so many layers um, and and um, facets in how each person is presented but then also their Black reality. Because going back to Issa and working at We Got Y'all, I mean, how many of us have dealt with, you know, the microaggressions in the workplace? And, you know, and so even that, like speaking in on that experience or, you know, trying to do and develop things for your community and the red taping that happened, the redlining that happens. But speaking of redlining, the gentrification that's also happening. We're present with it that as it's happening in LA. And I also appreciate that because it's telling a story about what's happening. Because sometimes you get so caught up in being in the city that we're in that we see it on gentrification only happening within our city. But this is nationwide. And to see how it's impacting people in LA and the Black lives in LA was another dynamic that was added to this. So I think this is just an amazing an amazing show for Black young people to see all of our issues current in a show. And I I think that uh, Issa's growth, along with all of the things that you mentioned that are going on, kind of allow her to, or her character rather, to highlight all of those different things. Um, Being in a place first where you initially had all this passion and you wanted to do for your community and do so by um, working for a nonprofit. But then recognizing like, no, this nonprofit could potentially be doing more harm than it is good. And she mm-hmm. learned that and throughout the show and the different things that she was doing and then contacting those schools who had canceled with them because they're like, yeah, no, you know, your logo racist. Right. And so then finding uh, what, OK, well, what is it that I want to do? OK, well, I can start, you know, driving lifts and doing these different things and um, being there's, there's that part of it where you have to make your money and then really taking a step back and looking at, OK, like these are the things that I want to do. This is what's important to me um, is really showcasing the beauty that already exists in my community and doing something awesome, doing something dope for black people with, with them actually being involved. It not necessarily needed to be coming from the outside and someone showcasing it's us. No, we have everything that we need. And so we want to showcase that. And that was what came of her black party. And um, one quote that I did stick out that I did talk about before was um, when Molly said, well, maybe the, the who you are right now and who I am right now 
it's not really a quote because I can't remember exactly what she said, but basically wasn't going together. And it mm-hmm. did seem like um, Issa had made a lot of growth. Again, she's not even rapping in the mirror as much because she's happy with who she's seeing in the mirror a lot more now. And so she's, uh, she's making all this growth. And it almost seemed like for a minute there, Molly was kind of stuck and she wasn't making that same growth that uh, Issa is making. And we kind of see that kind of play out. Like a lot of her stuff is repetitive. Uh, and Issa pointed that out to her. And that kind of was what, you know, drove so much tension between her and Molly was like, you do the same stuff in your relationships over and over and over. You're repeating these cycles, but you can't see that it's you. Um, we see that being with um, the relationship that she had with Drew. Uh, he was very open and honest with her. We come to find out later on, she she honestly asked, like, does Candace know about me? He said, yeah. They She saw Candace at the uh, the dinner party and Karis was like, Candace was cracking jokes with her and, you know, sitting at the bar. Like, she didn't have a problem. They seemed like they were, they knew exactly where they were in their relationship. And Molly wasn't mature enough to really enter it because she wanted a boyfriend. This, this, this woman, husband, can't be your boyfriend, whether they in an open marriage or not. That that's her husband. They just happen to be in an open marriage. That that can't be your boyfriend. So um, she has just certain things, certain very um, structurally that she sees things, very rigid way of seeing things. And if it doesn't fit, then she kind of like pouts and throws tantrums. Mm-hmm. And I would like to, we could talk later on the prognosis about where you see that going. But um, did y'all want to speak a little bit more to Issa's growth and how y'all see her progressing throughout the show from where she started to where she is now? With this growth, are we also going to talk about if she had a diagnosis or do you want me to Sure, work? throw that on in there, girl. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> to what I was basically saying earlier as far as like me relating to Issa, um, just with her being a normal young adult with figuring it out. A lot of times in our society, we you know, put a lot of pressure on um, people that are 18 to, you know, know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And what I appreciate about millennials is just like, we're like, nah, fuck that. Like, (laughs) we, we have time to figure it out. And we may likely go through multiple uh, career choices throughout our lives, and that we don't typically stay in one place for, you know, longer than a couple of years. And so, which makes us a little different than previous generations. And so I think Issa is kind of going in that, that uh, those footsteps are in that direction where it's taking her a while to just kind of figure out what she wants to do next. And so um, we saw, we got y'all is just like a, you know, it was a stepping stone. It was her to figure out, okay, it's what I don't want to do. So I always say like from a career standpoint, you know, whether you do something or not, you know, you're going to figure out whether you like to do it or you don't like to do it. That that can be like the the purpose of whatever experience that you do have. And so with that, it was just like, yeah, I like this community work and whatever else, but not for this company. And then she was able to find a job that she, you know, could tolerate or, you know, that brought some, um, you know, income in with being a property manager um, we also saw her going from this very, what was at that moment, that dead end relationship where she was the one going to work every day. And, you know, she was working harder than, uh, she was working harder than he was in that relationship. And so they, you know, they eventually broke up, um, even though she did, you know, do the whole cheating thing and whatever else, but that's a different conversation. 
Um, you know, I, I think that they both had some things that they had to work on. And so they were able to kind of flourish apart. Um, then we, we saw her uh, beginning to show this interest. They went to, you know, Coachella, all of that. I feel like that was like the thing that inspired like the initial block party idea was just like, man, we could get, you know, all black people involved with something like this and do it ourselves and showcase, you know, our neighborhoods and our businesses and things like that. So that was like the catalyst for her to go ahead and do something on her own. Um, And she had no idea how she was going to do it, but she figured it out. She networked, she, you know, did her lift thing. She did the property management thing. Um, she did a lot of, um, of work to get to where she was in this last episode. And so we did see her do a lot of growing. Um, but I would say just overall, if I had to diagnose Issa with anything, it would be anxiety. Generalized yes. anxiety disorder. Um, yeah. and, so, <laughs> and that's where I relate to her on. Um, I, I deal with anxiety. And so um, I think that can also play into the awkwardness. Um, (laughs) where it's just like, you're spending so much time in your head, spinning your wheels, wondering like, what should I do? How should I present? You know, how did that person take what I said? You know, what do I have to do tomorrow? Just those constant ruminating thoughts, um, that, that happened with her and her like planning these scenarios out that may never come to fruition, but she has this whole made up land in her head about what could potentially go wrong. Um, and so with the criteria of generalized anxiety disorder, uh, restlessness or feed, uh, feeling keyed up or on edge, she's definitely on edge 90% of the time. We don't know about her sleep or anything like that. She definitely has some trouble concentrating with um, her constant, um, even when she was doing the raps and things like that. Sometimes those might come out of nowhere while she's, you know, at home or in the car. And even we saw it in uh, this last season where, Uh, She was about to, she thought about calling um, Molly to tell her something or to, you know, kind of get some advice. And then she like immediately like went to this thought of like Molly yelling at her and not responding in the way that she thought it would. We do see some irritability coming about with her as well um, with just her kind of popping back at Molly but not as much as Molly, I would say with her irritability. I think hers was more so in reaction to uh yeah in her reaction to molly so yeah that's my diagnosis of of isa what do you guys think i definitely agree um and i definitely feel like that kind of comes in with her relationship with daniel because i i have a soft place in my heart for daniel that boy just wanted to love and freak on that girl that's all that he wanted was to love her and have sex with her and she was just like no Sometimes I want to do that with you. Sometimes I don't. I want to come stay at your house, but I don't want a relationship. I want you to fix all my problems, but no, I'm not depending on you. And mm. so I think that that was, that was the, the manifestation of all of that worry of everything in life adding up to a, cur- a certain place. And I felt like Daniel didn't always fit into that well for her. And so they had a, a kind of a, a negative fallout from their relationship. The one thing I did not like, though, was the the the, the generalization that Black women did not like to give head because that was made in that episode where Daniel nutted in her eye. And I was like, I just wanted to hear y'all's opinion on it real quick. I just don't understand how you could be that 
neglectful and just end up having come in your eye. <laughs> like you had to be moving really fast for something. That I just don't. Don't you control where I? I feel like you should feel like you should be, like you should be able. You goes. should hold it. You'd be like, no, we ain't gonna let this happen. I'm a shirt, maybe my hair, but never my eye. I was trying to ignore the messages. <laughs> 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 Oh, goodness. Um, I, I think that it was another good, good moment to uh, touch on some things that may be taboo within our community, which I, I didn't know that that was still a taboo thing, I guess. Um, I thought and sometimes it, it just makes me realize how behind Hollywood is with certain things sometimes where it's just kind of like, well, we were on that about 10 years ago. Um, and so just with the dialogue of certain things, so whether it's like natural hair or sex or whatever, it's just kind of like, and I also have to keep in mind, like we went to an HBCU and it was certain conversations yeah. and things like that, that we were having that maybe other people might not have been having at that time. And so I was just kind of like, wait, is this still a thing? Like, I understand like in high school that we weren't really saying that these things were happening, but in our twenties and thirties, like, is that really a, a thing? Just felt like it was an unnecessary generalization that was made. And as much as poignant and as uh, spot on as the show is for Black culture, I was disappointed. It had, how dare you suggest that I don't like engaging in all parts of sexual activities? I mean, and I'm sure there are a small set of people that don't believe in that and, and maybe have not been exposed to that. But it was just kind of like, a, is this really a thing in 2000? That Whatever. small set is not in my friend group. I don't know none of them people. <laughs> well, I have to go back to the quotables as far as I can't believe I forgot about Zaddy. Zaddy, Tasha, the bank teller, and her calling Lawrence Zaddy. That was like, and she was, was the first like, time you yeah, heard Zaddy? Yes. Me and Evan really? looked at each other like, wow, that's so, I like that. Yeah. You're a little bougie now. It, it's out here. Wow. It's a little old, too. It's been wow, around. Wow, wow. Okay, well, that was my first time hearing Zaddy, and that was my quotable. But we, I think, I think maybe I should speak for myself instead of saying we, but Tasha was, I thought she was going to be the condola. Mm-hmm. I thought she was going to be the condola. And I also feel like we can't forget about Tiffany and her postpartum depression as well yeah so i mean damn so then let's go ahead and hit a prognosis for uh each of our characters so for isa we are saying generalized anxiety disorder that that is what the diagnosis that we would give her what type therapies or anything do you would you use with her what type of what the issues would you want to address in therapy if she was your client this character was your client and do you see her how well do you see her on her pathway to healing? I'm so person-centered and because Issa is so internally driven, I would use person-centered with her. She has the tools and the ability to, to fix most of her problems. She's aware of most of them. So really it's just a matter of her having to do that internal work. So I would use uh, person-centered therapy with her and using that approach. I would use, um, I'm really getting more into like mindfulness and things like that. And CBT, so there's also like a therapeutic approach that's called like mindfulness or mindful CBT, 
cognitive behavioral therapy for those that aren't familiar with CBT. So basically forcing her to, well, not forcing her, working with her to, um, to address her cognitive distortions. So just those, those uh, thoughts that may not be true, um, that she's gone on to believe her, uh, are true and drive her anxiety. I would also work with her with creating healthy boundaries with everyone in her life. I would also assist her with deep breathing exercises. I like the fact that she was already um, into yoga and her and Molly, you know, were having those self-care Sundays. So I would really want her with or without Molly. I would really want her to continue that and just come to her as a, you know, strength base to say like, you know, you're, do- you know, you were doing yoga. Maybe that's something that we can incorporate again because it seemed to, you know, be something that really worked for you in the past. So that would be my treatment for her as well as like talk therapy and doing a lot of processing. Okay. Molly, we're saying has um, major depressive disorder. Same question, but for Molly, go. Prognosis. What do you think, Courtney? Oh, um, for, well, for Molly, I think that she is already in therapy. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was a whole entire process to get her to go. It took like, you know, a couple episodes for her to really wrap her mind around it and then find someone who was a good fit for her. And then um, she is still working on opening up. So in, in the therapy that she is receiving now, I think that she needed, um, she needed that time to build that trust because mm-hmm. of her issues with perfectionism. Um, and she did not like lifting that veil and somebody seeing that she wasn't perfect. Uh, I think that now with her um, just now, like really getting to getting comfortable with her therapist, the one episode she was like, well, okay, read me then. So she is a finally accepting of hearing that. And I think that that was very skillful of the counselor that, that they wrote in into her show uh, because when you're dealing with clients who are resistant in that way, you have to allow them to build that trust. And so now that she, she's still not being completely honest with her, but she is at least now opening up a little bit so that some work can be done. Um, and so I would, it, following along with her, her counsel that she has now is give her actual more um, homework assignments, make her do stuff so that she can feel some type of success in doing something that is actually beneficial for her in, in her life. And so um, with that building that trust, I do think once she finally does get to that place that uh, actual work can be done and she can see um, some actual growth and really start healing from the different things that she has going on. Because I do feel like her, her therapist has been challenging her more. And so now I think they can actually start to get, get into some work. Um, Rosie, what do you think? Well, I agree with you. I think that the therapist um, was probably going to have to start getting more activities, active uh, things for her to do. Um, I know that we're probably going to revisit a lot of those um, holding grudges, um, those types of behaviors after the breakup with Andrew um, and also kind of maybe the breakup with Issa. So kind of preparing um you know, just kind of bracing for the difference that's the different moods and feelings and emotions that she's going to have after that, because Andrew and Issa made up a good portion of her world for a little bit. And so what is that going to look like now that they're, they're, they're kind of gone in a way or separated? So, um, that's, that's also something that I would 
kind of put in the back of my head, kind of put on a side to maybe work and consider working on? Um, for Molly, I would like to add that I think I would want her to be in therapy consistently. That would be my my main thing with just, and that comes along with the trust and all of that, but holding her accountable to weekly sessions. So this like peeking in, peeking out that she's been doing is not going to be helpful and it's not going to lead to her success. Um, and so I would really um, kind of initiate boundaries with her to say like, hey, if you're going to be involved in your treatment, then this is what it looks like. And so um, just basically working on some treatment goals, what she would want to see. Um, Also working on some, maybe some role playing with her uh, to talk about, you know, how she could have handled these different scenarios and uh, relationship challenges in a different way um, that could potentially get her a different result. Uh, Working on different ways to communicate um, because her, her communication skills are just messed up. And to me, she also picks and chooses who she decides to communicate with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like certain things that I was just like, you know, Molly wasn't necessarily wrong for that. Like the way that she responded to uh, Andrew's brother in the pool, I was kind of like, well. Um, but that was, Victor. <laughs> for me, it was just kind of like, yeah, she could have, maybe she could have said that in a different way and handled that in a different way. But who am I to tell a black woman how she, she should respond to someone uh, minimizing and negating her experience as a black woman and, and experiencing racism. So to me, she, she has those skills, but working on translating those skills across all boards. Cause we see she uses some communication skills in work and she's wanting to be more liked and things like that at work. So she's working on it in the workspace, mm-hmm. but I really want her to begin to work on those skills in her personal life and to, to help her develop some sense of insight. Because to me, it's just like, she's in her perfectionist bubble and doesn't really see how she could be uh, doing wrong within her relationships. So that comes with that relationship as well, because if you have a relationship with your therapist, they'll be able to call you on your shit and be like, hey, you fucking up like this. Let me show you the ways in which you handled this and how you think that could impact you. So definitely agree with the insight and the uh, possible role playing, because a lot of times she doesn't think that she's wrong in her interactions. And then sometimes really she isn't. Uh, While she also is messy, Issa's stuff for a while was messy if that's the if that's the um that's the role that you continuously play is uh being messy and being a user because those first couple of seasons that's what Issa really really was doing she was using the people in her lives and she was taking Molly for granted a lot and saying let's get together and girl order whatever you want because you paying for it like she was doing that a lot and showing up to Daniel's house and I'm just stay with you but we ain't gonna do nothing she was doing that and so sometimes she wasn't wrong and and what what she said it might have been how she said it that is causing her to issues I am hopeful though as though we did in this season with her and um with Molly and Issa meeting up and finally having conversation we don't know what happens or what's said in that kind of conversation but it does look very in-depth because there's lots of hand movement and shoulder shrugging and leaning in so I'm hoping just by reading the body language that that is something that uh helps bring them closer and that she's actually Molly is really actually ready to do the work because her, her therapist challenged her and was like, are you ready to do the work 
to make this situation better. And we didn't get an answer from Molly. I think it cut to a different scene. But for uh, a lot of the relationship between Issa and Molly, Issa is the one who who starts it. She's the one who engages that make it up. She's, bitch, you still mad? And then they go from there. And um, Molly never really does the work of healing those relationships with people. She either just goes along like, okay, you was wrong, but okay, let's keep going. Or that person is no longer around at all. She says her piece and then that's it. But there's not a lot of healing relationships and you can heal a relationship and separate from it. That can happen at the same time, but that's not something that she has been able to really do even with the relationship with her father yet. So hopefully all of that will come together. Um, Rosie, you mentioned earlier about Tiffany and her um, postpartum depression. Another... uh, issue that I don't feel like is really explored enough. And so kudos to the show and being brave enough to really talk about it and show what that could potentially look like for us, for people who don't know. Um, can you, did you want to speak to that, Rosie? Yeah, I, I don't have personal experience with postpartum depression, but I have, I've had a lot of friends who like shown symptoms and have expressed having it. Um, and the the behaviors that she had, like at the beginning, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is Tiffany being funny. But, you know, um, it, it did start to look like, oh, wow, there might be something here. And I think one of the things that really stood out was the fact that um, Tiffany, you wouldn't really expect it from Tiffany because Tiffany seems to be that character that has it all together almost. And then so for her to to act weird like this, like she did for this season. I don't want to say weird, but just not like herself, you know, primped and pressed and pretty and on, you know, on it. She always had a comeback. She was there. She was ready. Um, But she was different. Her energy was definitely different. Um, And uh, I feel as if, again, we do need to show that. And it's like, what does postpartum really look like? Like, you know, like, are they just, are we just showing it as like ex- extreme um, bouts of depression or types of behaviors? But sometimes it could be very subtle. So I don't know. I think I think we it's still a, a thing that our society is is trying to wrap its brain around that women after pregnancy struggle with depression, and we do need to continue to have conversation around it. I also think it's important to note that you know in a regular, like for us, regular Black women that um, expressing that we have postpartum depression or what's potentially happening with us, whether those are like thoughts of like considering harming your child or uh, considering harming yourself or, you know, involvement with social services, um, CPS involvement, things like that, potentially you know, being afraid that your child might be taken away from you if you're saying, you know what, my child was crying and I just wanted to, you know, smother them with a pillow or, you know, whatever those things are. Um, And so just having this fear of my child will be taken away from me or I will be institutionalized or whatever those harsh consequences will be, um, along with just the the expectation of that, you know, black women are strong and we're supposed to, you know, overcome everything. So those are important things to capture when we're talking about postpartum depression or or any diagnosis, really. Um, But I think especially with that, you know, where we have like 
an extreme respect for the matriarchs in our family and just expecting for them to be really strong and able to take on the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think that's, that's just the, the, she was the interesting person to end up being pregnant in the first place, you know, and then just her, you know, going through the journey of her going, you know, getting pregnant and, you know, just her high energy at the beginning to where she is now at the end, you know, um, really just showed like this shift and change in her. Cause I mean, she was really like happy and excited for the pregnancy. And then afterwards she's like, do you think my baby's pretty? Would you tell me if my baby was ugly? You know? Um, and I think these are all things that, that black mothers experience, but you know, like you said, we just haven't normalized having those conversations, um, especially because we have this stigma that we're supposed to be strong. I agree. Well, this has been good, though. I've enjoyed the conversation with you guys. Yeah, for sure. I wish we um, could really go um, deeper um, into some of the other relationships for Molly. Um, and even Issa, like, cause we didn't even talk about Quentin as much. Um, Quentin was the little law, the law person. Remember him? He's in a law firm with her. Oh, the one that was not necessarily her type. Yeah. Gotcha. And even Issa having the, the big boy, um, the TSA guy. That whole situation with what was that? What was that sound? Honey, that he, <laughs> what was, was the sound? I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember the sound that he made, but she, that was so cute when Lawrence like acted like he was gonna leave her and uh, made that. <laughs> oh, honey, I thought that was so. I was like, he's not gonna do that to her. Is he really gonna do that? I was so sucking into it. I just knew yeah. that was the end of their night. Um. But yeah, I think I think it was interesting. I um I was watching something I can't remember, but they were just basically saying that we need to normalize um, big boys getting love too in sex mm-hmm. scenes. Um, I thought that was interesting. What do you think? I agree. Um, I liked that we saw him, and when they showed his little butt, I was just like, okay. Um, and butt so. Button. I- the butt button or something he said what he say about yeah pr- push push my butt button or whatever <laughs> so some people i know I, um i know that some people were like questioning like was he talking about like his anus like putting her finger in his anus or like just pushing his butt so he could feel a different feeling so i'm not sure where they were going with that but you know i guess it was a real moment Um, but I think it is important to note just kind of moving forward with Insecure. Um, I, I did see some, some conversation with, um, a guy that is considered big or whatever. And he talked about how he did not like, while he was happy to see that it was, a uh, someone that was in there that was, uh, bigger. I don't know what, I don't know what men prefer to be called if they're larger or whatever, but that not being used as a comedic relief. And so while we did see him in a sex scene, much like the sex scene from uh, Waiting to Excel, where we had the the big man with, uh, I can't remember her name. Was her name Robin in there? I don't remember her name. But um, yeah, where they had sex and it was just like this very like awkward comedic uh, moment. And it was just like, well, why can't big people just be in love and have sex like 
the rest of us have sex without it being a joke behind it. And so that's one critique that I could give Insecure is just that, you know, even when it comes to Kelly, we want to see Kelly getting love too. We want to see Kelly being more than just the comedic relief. We want to see, you know, even though we don't have to see, you know, TSA or whoever he was or security, we, we don't, we want to see more of it without them being the comedic relief or always being there and that's being their sole purpose. Yeah, I agree. You know, and when you when you say it like that, I, I guess I never initially thought, you know, that the of it being um a negative, but I can see that as well now that you broke it down in that way that um we don't want to have that image of them just being a, a comedic relief and kind of goes back to how Black people were introduced into film in the first place, that we were that comedic relief with the, uh, you know, the big mouths and, you know, dopey face and eyes and stuff. So, so Courtney. Yeah, I think this season was the first time that they kind of got away from Kelly and uh, Tiffany being real stereotypical because their characters, while supportive and while uh, two very main characters in their fin group, both of them were like just big stereotypes. Uh, Kelly was often drunk, cracking jokes, and being real vulgar and loud. And Tiffany was very stereotypical and she went to an Ivy League. She, you know, always had her hair and stuff together. And so like, they gave them a lot more depth this season. They made uh, Tiffany just a little bit less shallow and being able to understand different points of view actually this season. And so I appreciated them two getting actual shine where even um, the actress Amanda Seals saying going through the 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 season, she purposefully let her nails get be undone and didn't get them repainted because she wanted to show the progression that this is was getting really rough for Tiffany and something because her character is always everything has to be together hair always has to be done like she purposefully her hair was unkept her nails were getting longer um, and then seeing Kelly being really worried about her friend and doing whatever it was that she needed to make that happen I just liked being and and really upset and hurt when she didn't get to plan the the baby shower and really seeing what that looks like between friends. I really appreciated them being fuller characters and not just the set stereotypes that they were that offered, you know, their structured, whatever it was they was given in their scenes. So I, I appreciated that from both of them this season. Um, so we, I really, just in general, overall, I appreciated the show. It talked a lot about the the it gave a new viewpoint into different issues that don't always get talked about as far as it being dating, um, male sexuality, males uh be, being able Lawrence handling the situation of him being cheated on and what that looks like for a black man, um, sexuality in general with uh the like we talked about earlier the oral sex, um, friendships what adult friendships look like because making friends as it younger. It's very easy. It's very hard to make friends as an adult. And so mm-hmm. we see Issa make friends, friendships with, um, again, Condoleezza Rice, even though that doesn't end well. We see what that <laughs> process looks like. And so I just really appreciated this show um, for it showing us in all lights mm-hmm. and not just, uh, not just, because uh, to me, it's more of a dramedy because, yes, there's this <laughs> funny parts, but it, it offers all lenses um, and all viewpoints within the show and being able to see women of color be mm. sexual, be passionate, be in relationships, be in friendships and what that looks like for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
any other burning desires, anything that you wanted to say about the show before we wrap up? I think you did great describing it. Good job. (laughs) I agree. I agree. This has been good. All right, then. Thanks for kicking it with us this week on DSM, Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies. Uh, If you think that we're right, all right, just I, right. you think we know, we don't really know what we talk about, or you absolutely love us, uh, please let us know because we are counselors and we actually care about what you have to say. Um, until next time, peace. Okay, bye.